I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Streaming services and connected televisions now dominate living rooms. But what influence has OTT programming had on brands when it comes to content development, strategy, and advertising? If you can create content that appeals to the kid, but also the overall family and the parents, that's a win-win, right? Because you're going to get no pushback from the parents when everyone sits down and say, yeah, okay, let's watch the Lego movie because it's fun and it's funny, it's exciting. Generally speaking, brands that want to create content, I think the reality is that some brands have afforded themselves the rights to be entertainment brands, and some are just not there or will never be there. While sitting down and picking a show has become easier, the ecosystem that on-demand services such as YouTube, Netflix, and Disney Plus offer is changing the game for advertisers looking to capitalize on the influx of inventory. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Charles Gabriel, head of U.S. advertising at Wild Brain Spark, explores the intricacies of advertising on OTT services, including where advertisers go wrong in the space. Charles also covers major trends that he sees occurring within the industry, including why linear advertising continues to decrease. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey, marketers. Today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest, Charles. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Excited to have you on the show. Uh, excited to be uh, talking about all things Wild Brain today and uh, a little bit about your background. So how'd you get started in marketing? How did I get started in marketing? Um, I mean, uh, I probably took a, a different path than most But I started right away in digital marketing uh, back in 2006, almost entirely focused on the the video ecosystem and what was starting to happen, which for me was identifying the the trend that TV was going to shift, ad dollars were going to shift, and this was going to create a tremendous amount of opportunity across uh, tech, media, uh, and the advertising landscape overall. So... I actually started at one of the early video ad networks that was uh, making an effort to aggregate any inventory being created online through various publisher websites. Uh, That company was called Broadband Enterprises, uh, founded by uh, former CBS executive Matt Wasserloff. Uh, And then I went on to help build a uh, video ad tech company that was providing player solutions and content management solutions along with content and the monetization systems. And that was pretty early on before publishers had easy access to players and content. And so now today, uh, uh, flash forward to today, uh, you're head of advertising uh, for the US at Wildbrain. Can you you share a little bit more about Wildbrain for our listeners who don't know? Sure. Yeah. Um, So Wildbrain is a uh, publicly traded company in Canada based out of Toronto, uh, formerly uh, known as DHX Media. 
been making kids and family shows for 25 years or so, uh, aggregated a few studios through acquisition. The company itself is an IP owner, uh, manages a tremendous amount of IP, does production service work uh, out of our studio in Vancouver, where we have an 800 plus seat uh, high-end animation studio. We are the owners of some uh, very significant and iconic IP, such as uh, the Peanuts, uh, where we are a majority owner and a manager of the business, Strawberry Shortcake, uh, Inspector Gadget, Caillou, the Teletubbies, Yo Gabba Gabba, uh, Johnny Test, and, and a number of other brands uh, and some new brands that we've been developing over the last few years. And then our ABOD division, uh, which is our brand Spark, based out of London, has been uh, managing uh, not only our own library of content, but a number of partners uh, like NBC and Turner and uh, Mattel Properties um, on YouTube uh, and have a significant uh, expertise in, in YouTube channel management operations, how to develop audiences. And then we've uh, recently, as of 2020, uh, rolled out a direct advertising business to start to represent this uh, inventory directly to advertisers. Uh, that is a, a new venture for Wildbrain overall, because outside of the Canadian market, uh, primary uh, revenue stream was to license and, and to sell the programming. So now we are also doing that, but where we have our presence on AVOD platforms, um, looking to sell the inventory directly. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about AVOD today. Uh, can you share for listeners, like, what is AVOD? Uh, advertiser video on demand, right? So ad-supported uh, video platforms, um, YouTube being the biggest, uh, most recognizable AVOD platform uh, in any one single market by a massive mile. Uh, but then, you know, you're, you're seeing the other uh, services, most of them originating out of the US, emerging over time and getting much stronger. And I think uh, what you've seen happen in, in the recent years is the uh, major broadcasters have recognized this as a pillar for their businesses. And uh, through acquisition, have brought in some of these companies. So Tubi being acquired by Fox or Pluto being acquired by Viacom, services that are free and ad-supported, and then also that start to then have different tiers where uh, users can have paid options that might limit the advertising or give them different options. Um, Hulu certainly was one of the uh, the, the big uh, early versions of ad-supported uh, platforms um, that emerged as well. Yeah, and you know this this feels like um, one of those those kind of times where, you know, once YouTube became, you know, a, a behemoth and then you had these kind of start popping up and I think kind of all of us were kind of like wait and see like, oh, what's going on? And then you saw the success of obviously, you know, who everybody knows that, but whether it's in industry or outside, but like you said, Tubi and, and, and some of these channels, which I mean, got huge overnight with this ad supported piece. I mean, I guess taking a, taking a zoom out on the industry overall, it seems like being able to set up these type of channels with amazing content that's ad supported is obviously interesting in and of its own right. But as an advertiser for the marketers who listen to this podcast, it's an opportunity potentially for some really good advertising in a place where there might not be as much competition because people might not be as uh, as hip to it as they say. Yeah, I, look, I think AVOD uh, in general is is going to be critical for for advertisers moving forward. Different audiences, the numbers are different, but the general trend is that the linear ratings are continuing to decline. Streaming has risen tremendously, even pre-pandemic, but the pandemic helped uh, you know, accelerate that incredibly. You look at the SVOD services, they're occupying a tremendous amount of people's time. There is no advertising there. There's potentially other opportunities for some brands, uh, some brands that have 
character IP that they might develop into shows, um, whether that be animated or live action. But uh, for the most part, you're starting to see a potential hole develop for advertisers, especially in the kids and family sector uh, with the rise of Disney Plus. And, and you look at, uh, again, Netflix, a tremendous amount of premium kids and family content or go to those services. So as the broadcasters then develop their plus, 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 you know, their streaming services, it's going to be important that there is a, a layer of those services that remain uh, ad supported. Otherwise, advertisers are really going to have to uh, get much smarter about their content and their approach to, to advertising in general, because uh, the television side and the linear side is, is no longer going to be able to support the reach. And, and, and what is SFOD? Uh, subscription video on demand. So that's your, that's your Netflix or Disney Plus um, and any service that you're able to buy into on a monthly basis that will not show advertising. We're going to get into the to the to the family and, and and children piece of this. You know, primarily what you all work on and is absolutely fascinating as a space. Not something that we've we've talked a bunch about on the show. So we're so so excited for that. But so as you kind of mentioned, there is um, things like obviously with Disney Plus, massive massive investment in Disney Plus. Um, it was the logical extension. I mean, it's like you know, I'm not saying the world has been waiting for this, but in some ways, uh, we were waiting for Disney to be able to put all of their stuff under one roof for a long time so that we didn't, you know, have to, I mean, remember you used to have to be like, Aladdin would be on sale as, for a DVD for like three months or something like that. And then it was like, oh, nope, you can't buy it again for like four years or, or whatever. I, I don't even remember it, uh, but it, it seemed so, so crazy. So as you mentioned, tons of children's programming there. Uh, and or programming in general, and tons of programming on things like you know Apple Apple TV or or uh, or other spots that advertisers can't get to, despite the fact that we would all love to advertise on you know season two of Ted Lasso, right? We would all love to be there, but we can't. And there's this massive opportunity in AVOD, and it seems like it would be a full time job just to navigate those AVOD options um, to try to figure out where people should be spending their money. One of the challenges for most advertisers as AVOD continues to grow and the different platforms and services emerge is the fact that you're seeing a creation of more walled gardens. Um, they, they, have, they want to have their own systems, their own view of the advertising, you know, their own strategies on how they're going to place that advertising. Some of them will conform and potentially be bought out of you know, unified systems like, uh, like the trade desk. Uh, where advertisers can go in and buy inventory. But I think um, one of the challenges that's going to continue to occur is uh, frequency control across the various platforms that they're buying advertising on. And you know where you might want to do a direct buy with a specific network or a specific show that has their assets across a few different services. And those same brands have overarching investment deals with the platform itself. That's where you're going to see, I think, a little bit of, of control conflict and, and frequency control. So let's talk um, wild brain specific and, 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 and this children's ecosystem. So this is something where, you know, obviously you all have some like absolute premium properties like, like peanuts and all the things that you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. but you also um, are with, with wild brain spark um, in, a, in a different piece of this kind of ecosystem. What is the, what is the state of kind of children's programming and advertising? Well, from a, from a digital perspective, and I think really you got to think about this in, in, in categories in some way, toy 
uh, manufacturers, toy companies, the Mattels, the Hasbro's, the Legos. I mean, they are inextricably linked to content. Um, then there's just no way around that. I think that uh, you know the the past where you create a TV show, it's related to a toy product that then that's going to be for sale uh, in in retail. That has only become a more important part of the process. And if you're uh, again a Mattel or a Hasbro, you need to push into becoming a media company. You need to try to control your your own destiny there. And, and you're seeing that happen, right? You're seeing Mattel uh, announce you know multiple. Uh, live action films based on toy products and game properties that they have. And so what we found is given the fact that YouTube is so large and so just bigger than every other service by leaps and bounds in every market, um, it also happens to be the number one place for kids to watch content, partly because I think it gives them the uh, searchability and access to uh, both long form broadcast quality content and episodes from libraries that are being put there, uh, as well as short form and uh, influencer based content that they're seeking also. So it kind of gives them uh, the best of all worlds. They've obviously improved product over time, the CTV connections, whether that's through your TV or through your cable box, wherever you're accessing, um, it's just continuing to grow uh, on the connected TV screen. So if you're an advertiser, uh, and you are looking to reach kids or you're looking to reach mom and dad with a product that they're going to purchase for kids. Um, number one, I, I just don't see any way around it. You have to be advertising on YouTube. Uh, number two, you have to have a really smart content strategy, whether you're creating show-based content, whether you're creating shorts, whether you're creating you know, toy play or integrations uh, with other brands. YouTube has to be core to your strategy. YouTube Kids app, a little bit of a separate uh, subject, I think. So I'm still talking about YouTube main. I think YouTube Kids also presents an opportunity for uh, some of those same advertisers, just a, a little bit more controlled environment as it needs to be. Um, and so some, some more restrictions that they need to pay attention to. Yeah. So where you're sitting um, as, as head of advertising, what what are you hearing from advertisers on on a day to day basis on, on this stuff? Like, are they do they feel like they have a good understanding of of YouTube? Are they trying to still trying to figure this out? Like, you know, um, what what are you hearing? Um, I mean, there's uh, two aspects here, right? You have the the agency community that's executing a lot of the buys on behalf of brands, and I think that you know they have to get educated uh, very quickly, but also. Part of their challenge is turning back to a client and saying, you know, here's why you need to be here. Yes, we understand there could be safety control issues and things that you might not like, but the reality is you have to move where the audience is. So, you know, from that aspect, I think the the agency community has has worked pretty hard to to get educated and, and to understand uh, the changes that occurred on YouTube following the made for kids policies. Uh, and that that went into effect in January of 2020, and it was a significant change because one of the uh, primary strategies um, on YouTube in order to have some automation and self-control from an advertising perspective is to buy through auction. And with the made for kids changes, uh, that definitively uh, changed what you could do through auction. Uh, you could no longer access interest-based data and really be able to target and identify uh, the kids programming if that's what you were seeking uh, in the first place. 
what ultimately that did is it, it, it sort of removed some revenues from the system because if you were a retailer or you were a CPG advertiser, maybe part of your strategy was to advertise against some of that content. I think more than likely uh, because account holder data tends to be the parents uh, that they were targeting the age and gender data of the parents and potentially not, they don't, didn't even know that they were running on kids programming. So that's caused a little bit of a hole um, in the kids monetization uh, and working really hard with brands to identify the fact that kids do have a significant influence in the household when it comes to purchase. Uh, anybody who has a kid who's six to 12 years old knows this, no matter what you're buying. Um, and so bringing a lot of these category-based advertisers uh, back into the fold to support some of that kids programming uh, is, is super important. And that's something we're talking to uh, brands and agencies about. Um, the other impact there, if you look at what happened during 2020, is the diversity impact and, and sort of the storytelling that brands want to be around, but more importantly, the importance of kids when it comes to really affecting change in the world. If you want to affect change, you need to start showing kids what you want the world to be. That needs to be supported by brands. You know, the, the cost of production for quality content in order to be able to deliver this kind of storytelling that's going to create the change and impact that we all want can't be done on its own. Uh, it's, it's going to be done with the support of advertisers. A lot of great stuff in there. I'm, and I'm curious, um, you know, the advertisers, how much, how much sway do they have in the creation of that type of content? I think there's three plays. I mean, first off, advertisers can uh, you know fund and create their their own content, which is giving themselves ownership over the assets, and they do that often. Distribution is usually the piece that they need to purchase and or uh, work with partners and publishers and platforms to make sure that they have the right distribution promotion of that content. Um, the other way that they play there is by uh, doing custom integration work and, and getting their brands inserted into content both through brand placement, but also storyline and thematics and, and, and um, uh, other types of integrations that are going to show as really quality content versus what you've seen a lot in the last probably six years or so, which is a flood of what I would call pretty poor branded content that ultimately turns out to be a six-minute ad. And no, nobody wants that, Right. I mean, we, you know, we've talked about on the show, we've had Lego on um, and we've talked about the Lego movie in a lot of ways is probably the greatest piece of, of like, you know, content, uh, you know, one of the greatest pieces of marketing content ever made. Their sales skyrocketed because of that. Yeah. It's very popular and it allowed all sorts of, you know, additional franchise kind of opportunities. Not everybody can do that, but I mean, there's there's a lot of opportunity here for people to be able to create that stuff. Where do, where do you sit on 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 all of that? What are you hoping for, pushing for? What do you, what do you think is 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 important there? You know, first of all, the, the, the Lego example is is probably the one that uh, most marketers are, are, are striving towards uh, when they think about you know creating a, a piece of content that becomes a franchise that appeals to so many. What I would add to that part before answering the question is simply, you know, if you can create content that appeals to uh, the kid, but also the overall family and the parents, I mean, yeah. that, that's a win-win, right? Because you're going to get no pushback from the parents when everyone sits down and say, yeah, okay, let's, let's watch the Lego movie because it's fun and it's funny and it's exciting. Generally speaking, um, brands that want to create content 
you know, I, I think the reality is that some brands have afforded themselves the rights to be entertainment brands and some are just not there or will never be there. And that's mm-hmm. why they need to rely on, you know, scaled advertising opportunities and content as a vehicle uh, to deliver their message versus having the ability to really go into, you know, I, create new IP and, 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 and have a film or a show. With that said, I think we're at a moment in time where brands can start to think about, you know, do I create new IP? Do I have a spokesperson character uh, that could become a standalone entertainment property? Um, and that's something I think brands should should think through. I think there's a number of brands out there that could actually do that. Um, you know, I think you've uh, in the past I've heard the General Mills of the worlds and and other cereal uh, uh, manufacturers have gone to Hollywood and you know start shipping or shopping their uh, their characters to see about making films. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of that. And and again, you're going to see it on both ends. I think you're going to see it on in the animation world. Uh, and then I think you're also going to see uh, that transition to live action from anyone who has animated characters. We're going to get a live action, uh, the Leprechaun from Lucky Charms here or a Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, you never know. I mean, Mattel's doing a live action Polly Pocket and that's a franchise that's been around for a really long time. So you, you never know. I mean, I've had the the discussions uh, about all sorts of characters that could be very interesting to be standalone IP. And then in the world of licensing, being able to take that and have a totally new revenue stream around products that could be created around those characters. And so, you know, the world of advertising and, and the world of media and the world of IP and licensing really is, is coming closer and closer together. Well, it's, you know, it's so funny, right? It's like, we, you poke fun at that, right? But it's like, it's kids programming, right? It's like, they dig the leprechaun on like when I was a kid, I ate Lucky Charms and I stared at the box for 20 minutes while I was eating sure. it. So it's not like it's like a bridge too far. It's not like we, you know, it's going to be running on, on HBO Max or something like that. You know, like it's, it's not going to be something that, you know, probably ad- adults are tuning into, but I don't know if it needs to be. It might not. I, I think that if you're a, if you consider yourself a family brand and your products and services are, you know, everyday household uh, items, probably harder to cross that that bridge. Uh, but if you're a brand that has an entertainment service or, a, or an apparel product, a toy product, a gaming product, you know, you probably have more, more room to play tech uh, as well. And, and I just think it's, a, it's just an interesting moment in time for brands to start to explore that. How do they have assets? That's something that's, you know, probably really important to brands is how do I create more assets? How do I do that effectively and efficiently? But then also out of that, how do I have, you know, IP and potentially new revenue streams that come out of my marketing initiatives? Yeah. I mean, that that's the whole thing with Lego, right? Is that their marketing initiative made money. Like that's the real, you know, it's not just, it was a massive investment. I forget how much they, I think it was like, it was a lot for, for them to make that. I think it was like 150 million. I think they made like 450 million or something like that. I mean, you're talking about like massive numbers. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not sure of the, uh, the the numbers behind behind the film, but I mean, again, like just look look at the impact that that's had for for Lego overall. And what what's super interesting about what they did, and this is the mistake that I think most advertisers make when they start going into content. They were able to find a way in that in that movie to show the use of the product without making it look like they're showing people how to use the product. Right. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and I think it was done in, in, a, in a really 
really, really smart way. Um, side note, we're, we're, we're currently the producer of their Ninjago uh, series. Oh, crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we, we do that series for, for Lego currently. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the classic marketing show don't tell, right? And they, they crushed it um, with great character development and a great story and all that stuff. But, you know, we, we've been lauding Pixar for, for 20 years about how they make four quadrant films, obviously Disney forever making four quadrant films. Every single parent is excited when a new Pixar movie comes out because they know that this movie, that they're going to like it and that their kid is going to like it. I mean, and no surprise, there's not a lot of Pixars, right? Like we, we always say if it was that easy, everybody would be able to do it. But I, but I think it, it speaks to um, content is really hard, right? And it, like mm-hmm. you said, it's not, it's not for everyone. It's not for every product. Everyone doesn't need to be doing you know, IP. And if you look at, you, know, you published something in Adweek uh, where you wrote that Wild Brain Sparks, you have 4 billion monthly views on YouTube and saw a 55% increase on connected TV. I mean, it seems like behavior is shifting, not just not just content. Yeah, for sure. I, I think part of that growth on on the, the, the big screen in the living room, right, is probably two or three uh, reasons. Uh, one is I think people are are then seeking out and wanting to watch uh, together more often, and we found that in uh, our past research as well as our uh, recent research uh, that we just. Uh, published um, and did in conjunction with Ipsos, you know, 80 plus percent of parents are, are watching together with their families and kids uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, and uh, about 44 percent of them doing that on a daily basis. So um, people want to get uh, together more. Um, I think we went through a period of time and, and mobile will always be hugely important um, in the media and advertising ecosystem and to consumers. But that also separated audiences, right? And I think if you're a parent and you have a kid, you probably went through a period of time, depending on the age of your kid, where it's like, okay, go go take the phone and go watch something. But then the reality is, is they have access to so much, even with parental controls, that you don't really know exactly what they may be doing or what they may be consuming, um, unless you're the, the helicopter parent, which they, they exist for sure. Uh, and you know, by bringing things back to the the big screen and streaming together and watching together, you have a little bit more curation over what the, the kids are watching. Um, and that I think is a, is a helpful tool for parents. It also brings time together. And, and I think that that was a, a really uh, meaningful result out of the pandemic when it came to view, be, uh, view uh, watching behaviors. In addition to that, I think that technology products, uh, you know, the connected TVs, the smart TVs, they've all gotten better. Your integrations with different apps have all gotten better. Uh, you know, even your, you know, cable boxes that have gotten, you know, smaller over time and, and, and they, they, the, the UI is better in the menu and you can access the apps easier and then how you connect to the services. I think all that's improved so much that it's made it a lot easier for people to get back to the living room. I totally agree with you. And it's just funny how, how technology follows those things. You know, it's funny. We talk about podcasts a lot about how podcasts, not like it had a resurgence because it never went anywhere, but Things like AirPods and stuff like that hugely increased podcast usage because it's just way easier, right? Apple fixing their app and making it better and other, you know, podcast apps that are out there making that sort of stuff better. And, you know, like you said, with with the technology piece on this, I mean, I, my family, when we, when we got our first um, 
you know, Amazon Fire Stick, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is freaking great. This tiny little remote, it's got a couple controls and everything we do is now app-based. And, you know, you go on and on from there. I remember with my nephew, it was just like he had his iPad and everything was, you know, cruising through that. And then now, you know, it, it is different. I think it tracks that, you know, you're saying 80% of people are watching at least once a week, you know, essentially with their with their kids. Obviously, like you said, mobile and the iPad or the phone or whatever is always going to be there. And, you know, kid has headphones on, sitting on the couch or or whatever. That's that's great, especially for certain programs that parents might pull their hair out uh, listening to over and over again. Uh, you know, the 55th time you watch Moana. But, um, you know, like you said, if it's an opportunity where it is great programming, where you can watch it with your kid, where it's maybe it's, you know, some of these shows that we watched as kids and now you're watching with them, it, it, it feels different in the technology caught up. A hundred percent. You've said a few things that have triggered some thoughts. Um, so first off, the, the improvement in audio controls, I think, is uh, a, a big factor. The fact that your your child can pick up the remote and press a button and say what they want and have that you know show or content item or app on on a connected TV makes the use case for getting into the living room and getting the kid on the TV and getting them away from the personal device uh, a lot easier uh, because they can do it themselves. You know the other thing that, that I want to just touch on is is the nostalgia factor. We we've all seen it a lot over the last uh, eighteen months plus, but. The 80s and 90s nostalgia factor in, in everything, in entertainment, in uh, apparel, in activities, in everything. It's, it's so interesting to see how all that cycles back. I mean, you know, shows like Cobra Kai, you know, coming back and playing off. I mean, of that show is kid. so good. It's really good. It, it, it was, it, you know, again, for, for the audience that grew up with it, it was so fun. And it, it seems to have adopted a, a new audience and picked up a new audience, which is great. But the nostalgia factor is, is really interesting for parents um, that are probably in their, you know, 40s that have kids, you know, someplace between six and, and, and 14, six and 16 because they want to be able to share what they loved. And you find that a lot of kids really enjoy that as well. But also the nostalgia factor gives that trust factor in content and brands that parents you know, trust to show their kids or to, to enjoy with their kids. So nostalgia is an interesting play overall in entertainment. It's a trend that I personally love and, and, and you know, hope to continue to see that. Also partly because uh, from, from our perspective, we have iconic brands that are trusted that uh, have that nostalgia factor. And so part of what we do when we look at our data uh, uh, from a viewership perspective, whether it's YouTube or any of the AVOD platforms or the SVOD platforms, um, is to try to sort out when is the best time to refresh those brands and, and to bring a new version of that to market. Uh, and so that is something that we're doing. Uh, matter of fact, in September, we, we launched the new strawberry shortcake um, who you know goes from the berry patch to the big city and has a diverse new set of characters and touches on a lot more themes that uh, also has a nostalgia factor in there. It's got um, some really culture relevant, funny stuff for parents, but moms that are of that demographic that grew up with this, uh, with the, this IP and with strawberry now get to revisit it, get to share it with their daughters. And it becomes a really interesting time to bring some of that stuff back. It's funny too. I mean, we see this with TV shows that get canceled, they get brought back on a different network. You see all these sort of things where, you know, decisions were made by executives for whatever reason, for whatever purpose back in the day. And then they all of a sudden get brought back. And it's like, wait, this thing was way more popular than 
people thought or people find it later on and then it gets brought back for other seasons. Like the audience has a vote now. And that's a great place to be as a as a content creator, especially as someone who, who owns IP, but also like a reimagining. And I, I think you all are working on Carmen San Diego and and stuff like that. It's just it's cool to see kind of reimagining and, and different ideas. Yeah, I think there's both the the process to refresh and reimagine it. And then there's, you know, sort of what you just referenced, which is, you know, library content that gets recirculated and popular again. And and that's also really important uh, when you're a, when you're a content business and you've spent in most cases most studios you know billions of dollars in in production right over time. One of the things that I found interesting over the pandemic, as productions were shut down and you weren't seeing new content, you know, every Friday night you go to see what you're going to watch with your kids or or even yourself, and you're like, damn, there's nothing new, right? So you look at the top ten on Netflix, and you know you still see this right now. You're seeing a, a, a recirculation of films that were from the 80s, from the 90s. Maybe they're seven years old, eight years old, shows, the same thing. And they all of a sudden, they become popular again because people have either, A, found more time in this whole hybrid work from home, whatever their scenario is. B, they're, they're trying to, to spend more time with their families. So they're seeking out all sorts of different types of content. And that recirculation, I think, is is it's to me, it's super interesting to see some of those uh, shows and movies pop again. Any things, um, you know, over the past, uh, you know, year or so, particularly stood out to you in terms of trends? Um, you know, as I mentioned, you all are doing four billion monthly views, uh, which is which is just astronomical number wise. And so, I, I'd imagine that you're you're privy to a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean. You know, without having to restate, uh, ultimately, that the major trend is towards, you know, show-based, longer-form programming that is playing well on the connected TV screen. And, and then, again, you know, the connecting of audiences. So how do you create content that's going to connect an audience that grew up with something with a new audience? You know, it, this is, you, you've seen this numerous times in film where they try to reimagine or develop a franchise for a new audience. And oftentimes it fails because they make it so new that it has little connection to yeah, uh, yeah, totally. previous. Um, and it, quite frankly, for me personally, that example would be how they, how they tried to uh, relaunch the franchise of Rocky and, and bring that to an entirely new audience, which is an MGM property, you know, for me and for folks that I know, like it, 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 the first one that they came out with fell kind of flat. And part of that was you still didn't carry over the previous audience that loved Rocky. You just sort of went all out on a, on a new storyline. So it, that's just my personal example for me. But I, I, you see that in, in a lot of properties. And I just think bringing along the, the audience that, that has known that property for a long time is still really important. I'll use another one where... Um... For me, and I think the movies are kind of fun and silly, but the Jumanji franchise, you know, getting kind of relaunched with this like kind of like virtually no no connection to uh to the previous thing other than that there's this world and this kind of world building element. And like th- luckily they did kind of a good job and they have, you know, celebrities, you know, A-list celebrities that are involved and having the rock and anything is going to be great. So I think they they managed to do it okay. But like that could have been a massive flop because like Jumanji was a self-contained story to make it into a franchise. You know, they, they clearly had to create new characters and do that sort of stuff. But it's like, as a story, it's like they had to create a completely different story 
you know, that that has no connection to the past, essentially, other than just this game. Yeah, I think they 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 did a really good job making it culturally relevant, right? Taking it from yep. the, the the board game of old and the storyline there to okay, well, it's a video game because guess what? You know, that's what kids like to play. The way that they showed it in the game was, you know, sort of the archaic video game style. But that was that was probably the single major connection that they they made to make it culturally relevant uh, to the new audience. And then the rest of it was driven by humor, driven by you know production value. Uh, and then the, the storyline uh, in general of getting through the game in order to uh, get out. It's a, it's a big, I think it's going to be a big franchise. I mean, the, the last two movies have been really good. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have two, three, four more coming. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, we, we, we created this world. And like the other piece of this is like Jumanji, just the world in, inside can be anything. And then the world can come outside uh, and back to our world at any time. And like that, that play is, is a really creative thing. But, but again, they, they did it in, with a, in a really interesting kind of masterful way. But it, I, I just, before we get to our kind of lightning round here, um, any other things that advertisers should be looking at over the, over the coming years um, as, it, as it comes to like investing in Avon? First of all, the, the, the fact that with all the new services that, are, that have emerged, it gives consumers a lot more choice, which is super important. And, and I think that advertisers need to make sure that they support that because uh, once bundles unwind and the, the, the paid services that were free for a consumer or the prices go up, your mass consumers aren't going to be able to afford every single SVOD service. So um, continuing to pay attention to investment in the AVOD services, I think, are, are super important. Yes, for advertisers, but really for consumer choice. Um, I think it's really important. Probably, you know, I think advertisers are looking at sticking to networks and and brands and content on these services that they know well and that they trust. Um, I think that that's also pretty important as they as they test the waters uh, or move more dollars into those environments. You know, the connected TV app world is still a little bit wild, wild west. There's still, you know, ad fraud and issues there that are, are consistently being uncovered, which I think is more, more the reason why sticking to uh, uh, brands and networks and shows that, that they know well is probably pretty important. And then, you know, I think, I think at some point for advertisers, and this has been like the long journey as digital has continued to grow, what made TV easy to buy was having a singular currency. I think that that is still a, a pretty big challenge um, as you see more digital platforms and more digital services, uh, just because it's apples and oranges, not every metric is the same. The currency overall and how you measure and report, uh, it, it's all a little bit different uh, depending on the platform. So those become challenges, but I don't think those are challenges that should keep advertisers um, out, of, out of the game. I mean, uh, I commend certain brands for for jumping in quickly because I think that that's a good way to test and learn. You also get uh, advantageous pricing usually when you're ahead of the curve. You know, we saw uh, on, within the the YouTube ecosystem, uh, VRBO uh, was yeah. an advertiser that uh, stepped up and uh, you know spent probably quite a lot of budget um, and did did promote creative on kids programming, which we saw, which was often add storytelling about, you know, dad and daughter wanting to do something and getting out to the lake, et cetera. I mean, we've probably seen that uh, spot. We talked about it on the podcast. We talked about VRBO invest because we were like, we was like, what an opportunity for VRBO, which is, you know, we talked about how basically Airbnb cut their, cut their marketing 
Brian Chesky's been vocal about it, that they cut marketing during the pandemic and VRBO comes out with this just like massive, massive marketing campaign targeting video uh, and is is really well done. Yeah, at a time when travel was, you know, just completely challenged and, and uh, you know, they pushed into the get out and get on the road and, you know, get the family to sit together. They, they pushed that, that button. And I think it was really, really smart for them. But so, yeah, in terms of, in terms of trends, I, I just think you're going to continue to see, you know, ratings on, on the linear side. And I know for sure in the kids space, but I think you're seeing it, you know, across the board, it's going to continue to decline. It's clearly why all the major broadcasters have finally come out with their own services. Um, I think the most interesting thing in that world is I don't think they're all going to survive. You know, none of these are small investments when it comes to technology and content and uh, distribution. So I'd be very curious to see what happens there as as each service continues to to push into the market because at some point you have you just have so many, right? And uh, I think if if we looked at our research, I think. Uh, when you combine SVOD and AVOD services, uh, it's it's Netflix, YouTube, and Disney. I mean, they're they're the biggest by by a significant margin. Let's get into our lighting round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com/slash/marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Put your customers at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com/slash/marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Are you ready? I guess. Let's do it. Number one, if you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Coaching soccer. Do you have a favorite TV show, podcast, book that you've been checking out recently? Book, uh, Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. Um, Just wrap that one up. Fantastic. Uh, shows and podcasts. I mean, uh, I, I probably have so many. It's it's hard to choose. I will say uh, the most exciting show for me and my family has been Stranger Things, um, and we can't wait for season four. So, um, you know, really looking forward to that. Thoughts on uh, U.S. Men's National Team uh, for the soccer team? Well, I, I, I think that the expectations are super high. Uh, I think that they finally figured out how to uh, grow the young talents often getting them uh, overseas to play. So I think it's the first time I can remember ever uh, that we have so many players playing at a very high level in international clubs. Uh, Best is a starter on Barcelona. You have McKinney starting on Juventus. You have Christian Pulisic starting on Chelsea. So that stuff's exciting. I think they have to make a Gold Cup final. Uh, I think like anything less is is pretty weak. Uh, And obviously they have to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, I just, I cannot stop watching all of our young, young guys out there. Uh, it's just, it's freaking amazing. It's so it great. is. It's getting exciting. It is. Um, and, and everyone, everyone else listening who, who is not a soccer fan and, or, uh, comes out of a European country is probably, you know, still, still chuckling a little bit because we're, you know, number 20 on the FIFA list, but bound to happen. We're going to break it's through great. at some point. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, you know, it's fun, fun to be an underdog and like having Pulisic is just like, People, you know, be like, oh, you know, Americans and Pulisic. It's like, it's the most fun thing ever. <laughs> it's like to have a superstar, yeah. you know, attacking forward who's like one of the best dribblers in the Premier League is freaking awesome. It is so fun. It is. Yeah. And uh, sc- scored in the Champions League semifinal and uh, won the Champions League. So, again, for people that don't uh, understand the sport, it was a very exciting milestone, uh, even just from an individual perspective, but to have a U.S. player uh, be there. 
Incredible. Um, last question here. Uh, what is your best advice for a first-time VP of advertising? My, my best advice is probably to practice servant leadership, you know, lead through serving others, you know, be there to be helpful, be open, honest, and transparent uh, across the board with your, your employees, with your partners, with your clients, and always ask what you can do to help. Because uh, I find that um, through that process, you'll develop stronger relationships and, and, uh, and, and really create value um, in what you're doing. Charles, we appreciate it. Uh, any any final, final other things to plug or any, any other thoughts? Um, the, the only other thing I'll, I'll, I'll plug is, you know, we are uh, in the process of bringing our uh, data and insights products uh, known as Darwin, uh, which is our audience insights platform uh, to market. Um, it's very much in, uh, in beta uh, at the moment. Um, and we are working really hard to get an external facing product that's going to really help advertisers understand uh, certainly the kids audiences across multiple platforms, but, but starting with YouTube and YouTube Kids and then uh, Roblox and AVOD services. Uh, and part of what, we, what we've done there and what I, the way I describe it to many people is it, it's the Netflix recommendation engine meets IBM Watson. It's uh, machine learning, understanding behaviors, understanding patterns, privacy centric, completely compliant uh, data sources, uh, and just finding the right signals that are going to give the right insights um, to, to advertisers, to content owners. I think it's going to be a really powerful tool. And we already have a lot of brands that are benefiting from us leveraging uh, our insights and our data. I love it. That's awesome. We'll have to uh, have you back to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have a, we're going to have a soft rollout, I think, come September, October. And I would love to revisit that and, uh, and talk to you about it some more. Charles, appreciate it. Uh, Thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.